Hello, everybody, and welcome to a special bonus episode of the Spore the Warning podcast. We are talking about a number of award-winning films from uh, this year's Sundance Film Festival. I'm Christopher Schneezy. I'm Stephen Miller. And if you're joining us for the first time, the Spore the Warning podcast is a weekly film review program. Each week on the show, we're going to dive in, debate, discuss, and argue over the latest films coming to a streaming platform near you. We are going to return to doing that soon. Uh, but yes, Sundance Film Festival just ended, and uh, as we had mentioned on the previous episode, Stephen and I got a uh, package of being able to gain access to four films a day during the, you know, reruns of the award-winning films. We probably could have just bought individual tickets, but whatever. This at least gave us a finite selection of films to talk about. Yeah, and <laughs> it only gonna... cost $140 more than, than the yeah. other avenue. And I only watched <laughs> five of them. <laughs> Six, five. <laughs> I definitely could have saved some money. <laughs> yeah, that, that's true. But I mean, in all fairness, you still would have bought the ones that you didn't see. You just didn't get that's around true. to watching them. So yep. it's it's not like you would have saved all the money that in your head right now you're thinking about. You just would have saved way more than we did. Right. And who knows what stress I would have felt in the days leading up to the awards announcement if I didn't have an awards pass and I didn't know that anyone was going to be able to book whatever the hell they wanted. Yeah, I would have been so stressed out. And to be fair, we don't really know. Well, here, here's the thing that we missed out on is if we were buying individual tickets, we could have not thought about it and bought them all for Saturday since you had two days to watch it instead yep. of being stuck into the window of shit that I favorite things that are also on Sunday and not on Saturday and trying to figure out how to like quickly get in and hope nothing sells out. We didn't have any problems. Nothing seemed to sell out, but we are we were done pretty quickly. So for all we know, everything sold out like two minutes after we were done. Yeah. One click buying our tickets. But like I bet after Yang sold out, though, I, I didn't go back to check, but it seems like it would have. Yeah. But uh, but yeah, I mean, what, what did you think of uh, this version of doing the festival compared to what we tried to pull last year at all the festivals, Stephen? I mean, it, it's night and day, mainly because I never... I was still shell-shocked enough from last year's festival that I never even tried to fully invest myself this year in the idea of last year, I think I maxed out at seven in a day, and I think you pulled off eight in one of the days or something. Uh, <laughs> I don't I remember. I think I remember that. <laughs> um, this year, I didn't even come close, right? I don't... I was stressed about the weekend because I was like, oh, I have all these Sundance movies to watch, but I also have, like plans with my wife and i also have like an exercise routine i wanted to do and i have a work thing that i said i was going to get done and I, in my head i was like this is going to be a nightmare and i just didn't let it be a nightmare which is why as we go through this you are going to have more than me <laughs> to talk about because i i basically failed uh immediately um i in day one i already was like okay there are four movies i have available today Three is plenty. Three is plenty. I'll do three and then see how I feel. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, so I feel fine. I don't feel like I attended a festival. I feel like I got a bunch of PVOD things and maybe crammed for the podcast in a way we normally would have if like six things showed up that we really wanted to review in a weekend or something. Yeah. I, I, I think for, for me, when I looked at it, I was like, Psh for a day that is chump change they start at 7 a.m and, and and they're all less than two hours you can do two in yeah. the morning you have several hours of break and then you can do like one in the afternoon and then one after dinner but but yeah uh f figuring out time timing with just you know eating doing everything and you know 
being mobile for, for at least a little yeah. while and not be like stuck there. And then, you know, sometimes you get tired and you might need a nap. Yep. <laughs> that changes the map as well. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was definitely nice to, it was nice to have more constraint on what we were trying to fit in. But also the downside is that we, we like resigned ourselves to like, well, we'll get the awards package and we'll watch things that the jury slash the audience said were great. They aren't necessarily things that like we would have bought tickets. Like some of them are definitely for sure things that we already intended to buy a ticket to if yeah. we weren't already spending up too much on a package for later. Um, but like when you're sitting into that thing, you're like, all right, everybody says this is good. <laughs> I haven't read anything. I'm just adding it to the list because it's supposed to be good. It puts you in a different yep. frame of mind than, oh my God, this story sounds amazing. I really want to see this. Right. It also, it makes the feeling of discovery a little less, right? Because you're already getting a thing people quote discovered, you know, you're getting yeah, things yeah. that people have already been buzzing about, which is very different than like, like I was thinking, uh, because I was making out like a, a written 2021 list and I included the fallout, which was a movie that in South by Southwest, I felt like it was this total little gem of a discovery. Like no one has ever heard of this thing. And I really love this lead, you know, this lead actress. This is great. Yeah. Um, and it turns out like a few weeks ago, the fallout premiered on like HBO or something. And it's I think like it was literally this past on, weekend or something oh, this week. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Cause it's like trending on the internet now. And, and it's funny how, um, how different the discovery feels compared to just a movie that came out. Yeah. Doing the awards package at Sundance feels more like it's a movie that came out and like I got early dibs to it, but you, you don't get the same like thrill of finding something. Yeah. It's, it's kind of like that year at Toronto when we saw that little tiny film called the Joker. <laughs> mm. <laughs> no, I can't. Jen, I can't. Did that ever get picked up by anybody? <laughs> I mean, even that time though, that had like literally won a bunch oh, yeah. of other festivals before we got to see it. But totally. I do like the idea of like, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I think, I think like Joker, Marriage Story, Uncut Gems, and Jojo Rabbit, all of those at TIFF that year, I wouldn't have felt were a discovery anyway. Those were like, hell yeah, I'm getting to see the big movies before everybody else. Yeah, yeah, for sure. (laughs) I just like the idea of somebody who doesn't pay attention to the internet or anything and is like, oh, they're doing another Joker movie? (laughs) But like, like Mass, for instance, was a discovery. Oh, yeah, for sure. uh, Saloom was a discovery that that feeling is like you really have to like decide to take a chance on a thing and then be surprised and a jury just kind of screws that for you yeah yeah the the other weird thing about this is if you're sitting down to watch an award-winning film or a jury selected film or an audience favorite film and you don't like it halfway through you're just like man I guess I just hate cinema <laughs> Yeah, I don't know, though. I mean, I feel like with a lot of festivals, when I see what I this is not me speaking to the quality of the award winning films this year, but in like past festivals, when I see what won, sometimes things that I saw and didn't care about at all win an award. And it's like, okay, I don't know, different, different strokes for different folks. (laughs) I I don't feel any kind of a, a fraudulence or whatever when I'm sitting and I like don't enjoy a movie that won like world drama prize named after someone right like yeah, yeah, who, yeah. Know, who knows what their criteria is for picking a certain movie well what do you say Steve? when we get into the list let's do it all right 
All right, so first up on the list, we're just going to hit this in alphabetical order and run through these. Uh, first on the list is a little film called 892, um, which is the story of a vet who has been um, screwed out of his uh, one of his uh, pay- payments that he's supposed to get from the vet um, uh, for having served. And he isn't able to get anybody to help him, so he decides to hold up a bank in order to bring attention to what's going on with him and try to get uh, justice served in his uh, sense of the idea. And this is a film that is based on a true story, um, and it is essentially very small. I mean, obviously there's tons of people involved in the overall story, but it's really just a, 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 a film that features kind of four characters really it's it's the man the story is based on um holding up the bank it's two tellers who work at the bank and it is a negotiator who was brought in to talk over the situation and try to de-escalate what's happening and uh yeah i i thought this film was 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 fine like it it was it was a film that at least you know for obvious reasons is the hostage basically standoff um the tensions are going to be high you're watching a person who is going through something and you know you're 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 on his side as far as like him wanting to see things work out um but it's definitely uh things are revealed (laughs) maybe even in the title of the film that kind of set an interesting tone for what is happening and the stakes behind it and 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 why somebody would go to the lengths that they are going one thing i kind of didn't like about what this film is doing is so it feels like it's sort of a message film that's calling attention to something that happened and an injustice that was happening to a person. But it also sort of has a few scenes of dialogue that call into question the mental state of the character that it's focusing on. And I don't yeah. really understand why that choice was given, because it's sort of you're taking a character who you're supposed to feel um you're supposed to be on their side, not not that you want them to hold up a bank, but you feel that something bad happened to them and you want you you see that there is this injustice in the world that this person has fallen victim to. But then you make a decision to paint the character in a certain light that may call into question whether he's like I don't know, there's something that made me a little uncomfortable about what the film was trying to do, be, like playing both sides of the field of of was this person in the right frame of mind when they tried to solve a problem they had versus was this person really just at their wits end and down on their luck and sort of this is a bad way they chose to try to deal with that situation. So I don't know. What do you think, Stephen? Uh, yeah, I, I think I... I largely agree with you. It, it sounds like you, like me, maybe went into the movie not knowing that it was based on a true story. Um, yeah. Yeah. My experience was it was roughly around the time you were mentioning where something clicked, where I felt, ah, this must be based on a true story because you would not intentionally plot some of these things, you know, to be yeah. the way that they are. Um, yeah, I thought it was, it, it was f- fairly good. I'm going to nudge it above fine. I, like, I think... There are some things that I think work very well. I think uh, John Boyega's performance is very good in the movie. He like really inhabits this character, and especially when you, you see photos of the real person too, he he seems to do a very good job of kind of having the actual look and the behavioral aspects. I had read an article about him afterwards, so I learned a little bit about the real person, okay. um, Brian Browniesley. Uh, so I think he was really good, Michael. Uh, Kay Williams. Uh, it was great to see him in this. I don't know if this is his final role or if he's in something else or not too, but I think he brought a lot of kind of 
humanity and nuance to the character uh, that he plays in the movie as well. And they are kind of the two, in terms of a relationship formed, I think they're kind of the two key counterpoints in the movie. So I, I yeah. think they do a good job of holding it together. I did think the pacing of the movie was odd. It was, um, it's a hostage situation, but it quickly becomes clear that it is not going to be like inside man or anything. It, it isn't yeah. going to be some kind of nonstop adrenaline movie. It kind of is, uh, it pivots into being a movie about like raising awareness for social things. It, it honestly reminded me a little bit of money monster in the sense that it is a hostage story, but that it's really the person who is committing. This is actually trying to amplify something terrible that happened in the world. Well, um, so so and, the interesting thing about that comparison though, is that, you know, both characters are motivi motivated by a similar thing and both characters yeah. have the same goal in the, 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 the actions they are taking to take something hostage. But in right. this film, yeah, he, he, basically he takes over the bank so that news cameras will come so that he can deliver a message to people. His, his, his end goal is put me in front of a camera so I can say my piece. Um, mm -hmm. In Money Monster, they cut out the middleman, the middleman being the bank, and, and right. just go to a news organization and take that over. And that's sort yep. of like it feel I don't know how one to one this relates to the real life story that happened. Um, and and, you know, what the mindset of the the real life man was at the time but like it just feels like this film is playing in a genre of hostage standoff films but is not uh executing on how those would play out because it's playing this by the book thing that happened in real life yeah. and it feels like it's it's sacrificing the the logical nature of a hostage standoff and what your end goal is in in service of what actually happened in real life um so yeah, I, yeah it, it's it yeah something I, just I, I agree with that me. i do i i think that's what the movie wants to do but it does make the tone can like conflict with itself a little bit i, I think yeah. the movie wants to begin as a traditional hostage situation where you're like all right he's a man with a plan he's going to be deft at what he is doing he's going to have all these things laid out things are it's going to escalate it's going to be great or at least it's going to be like dog day afternoon or something it's going to be like he has a plan and maybe it's going to get exhausting but it's still like it's about how exhausting it is but instead because of the true story which it, he was very 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 closely to um it is kind of the story of a a hostage taking situation where even the response to that situation proves just how little weight is being given to these people by, you know, the, the mechanisms of society that he thinks are going to leap in and do something, how they respond that like deflated pivot away from the hostage tension into something else's. I think it's by design, but it also makes it feel a little bit slow and a little bit aimless in the middle sections um, yeah. in a way that I thought was just, just okay. But I did read, it's based on an article called. And Spoilers. not only is, <laughs> Oh God, you're right. I shouldn't actually say the, the name. So it's based on a real article, um, which the movie kind of mentions in the closing credits. And when you read the article, not just the main character, Brian, but pretty much everyone around him, 
are directly quoted in the article and many lines of dialogue are specifically mentioned in the article too. So I think it does try to hew very, very closely Okay. for better or worse. I think maybe for worse, if you're talking about narrative fiction, but yeah, yeah. that, that at least explained its machinations to me. Cool. Uh, well, why don't you take us on into the next one? All right. Uh, the next one is the movie, uh, after Yang, uh, this is Koganata's follow up to Columbus, which is a movie that I, believe we both enjoyed i don't actually remember how you felt about columbus yeah, i mean I, I think you praised it way more than i did but i also enjoyed it yeah yeah so after yang uh, is basically a a sci-fi set in a near future of sorts um that i honestly didn't know anything when i went into this movie so i didn't even know how much to say about it <laughs> um it it's set in a near future uh, I mean, where it's like the the premise is established basically in in the first like five minutes so i think that's not a spoiler yeah, yeah you're right so uh robots uh, or ais basically walk among us in this future and in this case there's a family that had a robot uh, named yang that they had kind of act as an older brother to uh, their adopted daughter um and they're grappling with his death uh, and what that means for the family. So they're thinking through their memories. What did it mean? What was their connection to him? And it just kind of becomes a, a rumination on all sorts of things, both sci-fi and not. Um, I thought this movie, I thought it was beautiful. I really, really enjoyed it in the brain tickling sense. And I found <laughs> it way more difficult to connect to than I expected, given how kind of... I mean, Columbus was definitely very focused on composition like this movie is. Like certain scenes, you just look at the frame and you're like, okay, I totally get why he wanted that to be his like desktop background. You know, there's always like a foreground and a background and something happening in the middle and interesting reflections. And Coconut is clearly very interested in this stuff. But Columbus grounded all that in a very, I would say, like conventional indie drama in terms of what it was about, you know, a... a aimless people finding each other whereas this movie as a sci-fi is um it is much more wild and unexpected like the tone it keeps that somber tone of like a soulful drama even as the world that it is depicting is like very strange and difficult to inhabit i think what what impressed me is how totally thoroughly he has created this world um yeah like it feels like he just went to another planet and said okay we're gonna film on location <laughs> um because it, the look and feel is just like completely thought through like everything from the the way interior designs of houses look the outfits people wear the way plants look the way people <laughs> communicate with each other the way technology interacts with things it he had just created this whole universe that is all one big yeah. look and feel, you know, a mood. Um, what's strange to me, and I haven't figured it out yet, is on one hand, this is a movie that has, by design, ways of just making me cry, right? It is a movie about memory and about human connection and about the kind of like collage ways you can look back on a life and see, see what you find, you know, when you, when you synthesize a bunch of moments together, but it takes that like rhythm of making you cry. And it does things a few times that I think I know why it does it, but it like, 
intentionally breaks up the dialogue with like overlapping like repetition and it twists certain lines and it changes the angle of approach in a way that makes it be about like the unreliability of memory or maybe the way you revise your memories in your head. But the effect of that was totally removing me from that impulse of wanting to cry. <laughs> like it, 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 like it took away the rhythm of this is breaking my heart. And it made me be like, interesting. What is he doing here? <laughs> um, <laughs> and that is kind of where this movie left me. Like I, I didn't, fall in love with it because it it like it didn't it wanted to be too prickly for me to fall in love with like it wanted to make it harder on me and i <laughs> i don't know what that means I'm, I'm picturing you right now with the glasses on and the little girl asking if the movie's boring you to tears <laughs> <laughs> like i think i i respect it because I think it's stuck in my head way longer because of these interesting wrinkles Koganata threw in it. But it, was, it wasn't the, you know, straight down the middle bola like strike or whatever that I thought it was going to be. It was yeah. much more wanting to make me uncomfortable. And add to that, that the world that he creates, I think, again, by design, the humans are very emotional, compassionate. They open up to robots and other things the way they talk to each other is very stilted and distant and devoid of emotion and removed and that that was also strange like i don't know exactly what he's saying it's the kind of movie that makes me want to go back and figure out why he made the choices he made but it isn't the movie that made me just fall in love and want to rave about this is the meaning of life or anything like that yeah, yeah. so so i think accidentally i technically may have watched this film in the exact way you're supposed to watch it which is broken into pieces all overlapping <laughs> so, mm. so i have seen i have from start to end i have watched this film a single time all the way through but i have watched the first 75 percent another time and then about 50 percent another time so some of these scenes where it's like the same scene happening multiple times repeated on top of each other it's like my third yeah. time watching it <laughs> yeah. it's like i'm just like all right this time i actually really like it. <laughs> yeah because the first yeah because what's okay first of all I, okay first zero of all <laughs> um it should be stated that um, this film, when it played at the festival, opened with the A24 logo. This is already slated to be released the first week of uh, March. Um, that may be only theaters, like th three theaters or whatever it turns out to be. It will more than likely be available in the A24 screening room. <laughs> so yeah. we will do a full review that we can talk spoilers and stuff later on yeah. um you i know. may rewatch it then too just to just to get the same schnazy impression <laughs> yeah so so that should be stated up, up front um but yeah I, I think that this film is incredibly compelling and one of the, like it is it can be confusing because as you, as you said like half the dialogue in this film is people talking over uh future facetime but the way yep. future FaceTime works is you stare into a void. It's not quite clear what other people around you see, but you're looking. Yep. Um, who's the documentary film person who shoots the people shooting directly into the camera? Uh, um, Errol Morris. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so they're doing like every phone call that takes place is shot that way where somebody's looking directly through a space. They 
are either standing or sitting in an area where it feels like they're the only thing in the room, yet there is still a room around them. There's like this very interesting thing. Most of the dialogue in this film, I don't know if you were watching in headphones or watching uh, out loud. No, Joanne and I watched together. The mix feels like whenever, sometimes dialogue feels like a God voice uh, sort of thing, where it's like you hear it all around you. It's not coming from the character. So, so it's like phone calls, um, that are that are video phone calls that are audio sometimes just conversations there, there's this otherness to all interaction mm. where like because this film introduces the idea of techno sapiens um, and cultural yeah. techno sapiens which we'll get to in a second which is another yeah. incredibly wild thing that this film is like this world yeah. exists in um, but like there were times where I was like is the wife a techno sapien <laughs> like because her her delivery of most of her dialogue feels incredibly robotic at times not like like and i don't say that to mean that she is is potentially acting like it feels like a conscious choice like she is Mm -hmm. this sort of ethereal being feeling to me when i see like when she talks a lot of the times when she's talking to her daughter and stuff like that and it's it's there there was like a strangeness to what was going on but this world was just incredible incredible to me the idea that like how it's playing in the space of future um, AI robots, but also where the robots come from and like uh, Chinese, uh, the, the the Chinese technology landscape of our yeah. current time. And like this idea of like, you know, we can't have all the 5G chips come from China because you know, that could be a problem. Right, the same like, conspiracy theories. And that was an interesting plot line. Yeah, like it was super interesting, like, like the super racist uh, tech who works on robots. And mm-hmm. just the idea of a world where people, people can be fine purchasing and having a synthetic humanoid robot in their home and treating it as a child, but would be a genetist against clones. Like there there was just a really, it's a really interesting dynamic this world is putting together and just the way it plays with, with, uh, uh, talking about technology, where technology comes from, IP law, um, all these yeah. different things. Like I, I, I found the journey of watching this film incredible, just like playing in all these different things, and like trying to, to figure out where things were going. And then on top of that, once you sort of learn more about uh, Yang and who he was and like, yeah. and, and it, th- yeah, I, I, I just found it uh, a really sweet an interesting story that on some levels kind of stays one level throughout the whole film. It's not a build, a gradual thing that, yeah. that ends in this giant crescendo. It's really all sort of like monotone emotionally, but there's still, it's like, it's almost like, I, I think maybe the reason you were saying that, that like it try to, tries to beat me away from feeling the cries that I could have felt. It's because it feels like it's, it's intellectually overpowering the emotional side of things. It's like a film yeah. that's like, it's it's like Spock, right? <laughs> it's like he's so yeah. intellectual that he can't be bothered to have emotion. And the film does that to you because it's stimulating yeah. your brain too much for your heart to overpower things. Um, no, but- I, I agree. And I, th- I think what what intrigued me about this movie is the reviews that I saw, you know, leading into it because it premiered a can to people had seen it before. Every review I saw was acting like this was just a direct tear jerky, a soulful meditation on memory and what it means to be connected. You know, all my shit, <laughs> like a hundred percent. And after I watched it, I wanted to say, yes, it was all that, but did you all not see 
all the ways he's like intentionally making me not emotionally resonate. Like I, I feel like the movie, like you said, it is making us feel the way the characters in the movie feel. And it's doing that very intentionally. And I think it is, it is so interesting and rich and compelling and also just not the way people are describing it. That That's how I felt. Yeah. Cool. So should we move on to Blood? All right, so Blood is a film that I think is one of the ones that Stephen ended up missing, which which is unfortunate because now I'm going to have to talk about a film that I did not care for, and there's no one to back up the film on this podcast. Mm. Um, but Blood is basically the story of a a woman who um, uh, whose husband has passed away, I believe, and she decides to go on a trip to Japan um, and sort of tour around the city photographing people who work on various things, and it's sort of just her time... Uh, Maybe escaping? I don't know. I, it's hard for me to describe this film because for me, it sort of felt a little aimless and it, it was hard for me to pay attention to the moment to moment of what was going on because it felt like this is less about a narrative through line that is happening and more about just the the literal beat to beat moment of of this woman traveling around and, and um, seeing other people just do their jobs that aren't particularly um, like part of the point is this person is good at this one job that nobody really cares and sees about. And she photographs it. Right. Um, I'm probably like leaning too heavily on this one thing. Cause it's the only thing I can really say <laughs> about what is happening in the film. Um, but yeah, for me, it just, it, 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 it was what I was joking earlier about, like, I guess I just don't like filmic stuff because <laughs> I'm sure everybody <laughs> is in love with this. Um, this. Oh, yeah. The one thing we haven't been been uh, been saying is what awards these films won. But Blood got the U.S. Dramatic Special Jury Award. Um, so that is. Uh, yeah, that 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 was Blood. I obviously um, it's it's getting some praise. Uh, that praise does not come from me. And I'm sorry. <laughs> Uh, well, I just want to say how disappointed I am in Christopher. Uh, this was a wonderful, heart, like soul-stirring movie. I'm sure I will say after I watch it, just like a year and a half from now. <laughs> so, I'm here to talk about a movie that we already talked about before, uh, which is Cha Cha Real Smooth. Uh, this was the one film we both did catch in the festival proper. We didn't wait for it to win an award. Uh, it turns out it won a big one. It won the U.S. Audience Award for a dramatic film. Um, the <laughs> audience... The, the awards are I'm written in a way that make, it's not, they're not complete sentences, and it's really hard yeah. to be able to say them properly sometimes. Yeah, he, he, won, he won the Audience Award in the U.S. Dramatic category. That's, yeah. that's how we would say it. Um, we we spoke at length about this already. Uh, it is a completely lovely, heartwarming movie. Uh, the follow-up of Shithouse uh, by Cooper Rafe about a person who recently graduated college and is feeling that kind of, you know, that aimlessness, the postgraduate aimlessness that Zach Braff so trafficked in, you know, in his movies as well. Um, and in that aimless search to see what he should do next, he becomes a party starter for a series of bar mitzvahs uh, in his hometown. <laughs> And he, uh, in the process, he charms a bunch of people. He makes some friends, uh, most notably a woman whose name I forget in the movie now. I forget the character's name. Uh, and yeah, her daughter, Lola, uh, who her, her daughter, Lola, who is autistic. And he, 
the main character that Cooper Rafe plays kind of forms a different relationship with both of them. He, he finds a connection there uh, and he sort of embeds himself in this family and plot ensues. Uh, what I found very moving about this movie is just how hard on your sleeve earnest everyone in the film is all orbiting the gravity of Cooper Rafe's character who kind of just tells it like it is. He's very wide-eyed. You know, he cries when he wants to cry. He tells you how he feels. He asks you difficult, direct questions. And everyone in the movie speaks very openly about their feelings in turn. You know, they, they're they just sharing things together. And I found it just very charming and moving. Like this kind of heightened, I see it as a heightened reality a little bit of just how open everyone is to each other. Um, and I think it's a world that I want to live in. And it, it has a lot of wisdom that I would not expect a 23-year-old to have been able to write, film, and star in. It seems like the kind of thing that you would be 50 then looking back at what your 20s meant, not living in your 20s in the moment and coming up with all this. So uh, yeah. I think it deserves all the all the praise that it's been getting. Yeah, there, there is a scene that takes place on a doorstep where the, the emo- emotional intelligence on display is what an adult, like a, a future, as you said, like a 50 year old would remember back to that moment and go like, oh, that's what this meant. Yeah, what I should have said. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. But instead, this character is able to say those type of things in the moment and understand like everybody's emotional state and, and what it means to to be existing in these spaces with other people and to work together on just all doing your life and figuring out what's going on. Um, you know, we, we did, as Steven said, we already released a review strictly of this film. Uh, what we didn't know at the time, because it wasn't announced yet, is that uh, this film was picked up by Apple and uh, this will eventually make its way to Apple TV+. Plus. Um, but yeah, this is this year's Coda, essentially. And Apple bought it for $15 million. So yay to Cooper Rafe yeah. and the rest of the folks that worked on this yeah, film. Cooper, Cooper Rafe and that Wordle guy need to like go on a vacation <laughs> together. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I, I love the film and I can't wait to see what he does next. Steven, do we think, or I should say, do we agree the next film has to be fatherhood, right? Ooh, I mean, it depends how long he waits well, to make fa- another movie. Fatherhood or trying to conceive sort, sort of like potential fatherhood. Will they, won't they maybe, maybe see, an abortion I, I think film. he's going to take it slow. <laughs> I think he's going to take it slow. I think the next film is going to be like, uh, like marriage or something it's like he's in a relationship but he can't commit all the way or he's struggling to figure out what it means to smash those two lines together it could be a uh... you've got the last kiss baby you're on the zach braff train (laughs) (laughs) um but yeah so so that is cha-cha real smooth everybody see it once it's available because uh it's great um all right Moving on, the next film in the list is a little film called Emergency, uh, which won the Waldo Salt Screenwriting Award uh, for U- in the U.S. Dramatic category. And essentially, this is the story of uh, two best friends who are uh, about to finish college, and their goal is to... Um, they're trying to work together to make it on the wall of first and be um, the, the first people of color at this college to have completed this round robin of these seven epic parties that take place, I guess, on the same time every year. And um, as they uh, go off to complete this uh, wild night, um, they uh, 
they both have to deal with the fact that one of the the, the friends um, has a science project uh, that may be in jeopardy as far as surviving the night. And also they find a passed out white girl in their home and have to figure out what to do uh, to deal with the situation. Um, I thought this film uh, was pretty great. Um, this is uh, at its base level. This film is uh, the answer to a tweet, right? Like the idea of like, hey, these one wild night films would be wildly different if the lead characters were not white kids. And like, you know, any person of color would have a far harder, more difficult time dealing with any of these like one crazy night films that everybody goes to the movie theater and laughs their ass off. And this film is sort of the answer to that. Like, what if we take this, that premise and put put it through its logical places. And it's basically just a comedy about two friends. But I think as the film progresses through, it becomes, it's still maintaining its funny atmosphere throughout, but it also becomes more and more serious towards the end and starts to really examine the life of these two best friends and their different upbringings and how they both have a different sort of understanding and experience of what the black experience is. And it sort of plays them uh, against each other. And I think where this film ends specifically at the last shot is like a really, really compelling sudden little stamp on the end of this film that sort of like y you get why this film is made from this shot. And it sort of is all one progression and it's, it's enjoyable throughout, but it really has all the weight and feeling stacked towards the end. And by the end of it, I was like, all right, that was, that was pretty great. <laughs> what did you think, Steven? Uh, I I agree with you. I think this movie was was pretty great. I, I I don't think it was like fantastic, but I think it was very very clever. I understand why it won a screenwriting award in particular because I think what is very impressive about this movie is the way it manages to fold so many things together into a story that still grips you from beginning to end. I mean, this is a it's a semi-raunchy buddy comedy a la Superbad. That's definitely how it feels at the beginning. Yeah. Um, it is a interrogation of race that at first feels like it is going to just be irreverent. You know, it, it plants seeds very early on in the movie um, in, in a way where it just kind of comes right out and tries to make the audience uncomfortable and then tries to kind of laugh at the discomfort of the audience in yeah. a way that I think tees up what you're going to be going through. Um, it becomes a tense, zany thriller. Uh, it becomes blind spotting in places, like very emotional and personal and grappling with police brutality and how others uh, see black people and interrogating white people kind of interrogating their own implicit bias. It It is doing a lot of things. And the fact that it knows how to swerve between all of them in a way that doesn't feel it never grinds to a halt to say, OK, now we're going to get to the serious part. Like it, it is so confident in how it jumps back and forth between laughter and very serious themes um, that I think I think that is just a brilliantly crafted script at play. Um, I like this much, much, much more than the director, Carrie Williams, last Sundance movie that I saw, our hashtag J, <laughs> which was the <laughs> Romeo and Juliet movie taking place exclusively on. I want to say Instagram stories, but maybe it was Snapchat. I don't, I don't remember. Um, this has a whole lot more going for it, but it has the same kinetic energy that made me intrigued by the Romeo and Juliet movie. Here, I think the kinetic energy works very well because it is in a kind of 
drama, comedy, thriller. Early in the movie, I don't know if I'm crazy. It, I felt like it was even going to become like a, a sci-fi apocalyptic y like it, it does some things <laughs> with uh with the stakes early on in the movie that kind of steer you in a direction that it maybe isn't gonna go um i'll be honest i have no idea what you're talking about uh involving viruses okay <laughs> but anyway i i just think this movie has so much energy and it, it channels it in a way that is meaningful. I think it's a little abrasive sometimes. Like it makes some of the young people be so annoyingly wrong so often. Like yeah. occasionally I just wanted to yell at the movie and be like, I get it and move on to something else. But mostly I thought this was like a really, really, really great, great movie and a clever combination of things it, it was a clever <laughs> embellishment of that tweet that you said yeah, yeah um all right uh so let's move on to the movie that won the directing award in the world cinema dramatic category uh and that is a film called klondike um klondike is a ukrainian film uh that tells the story of basically a couple who are living in a war zone uh it is based in a real time in the sense that it, it, it kind of revolves around that Malaysian Airlines flight uh, that was shot down over a contested area of Ukraine um, when there was a separatist movement um, that was basically in a battle. And this, this airline was shot down supposedly unintentionally. Um, and this movie is kind of using that as a backdrop to explore what would it feel like to live in a in a place like this where everyone is fighting a proxy war. You know, there are people who are separatists who, uh, you know, want to leave Ukraine and go back to go back and be closer to Russia. There are people who want to stay as a part of Ukraine. Uh, there are also uh, Chechnyan rebels who I think maybe have their own agenda too, but none of these people are actually going to get power, right? They've all just allied themselves with a thing that they think will give them something in the end. And in the middle of this is a couple who are having a baby and the wife just wants to have a kid and have her place and have everyone shut the hell up and get out of the way. <laughs> and then like th this movie opens with a couple having a conversation in the house, you know, uh, the, the husband comes in and tells her like, Hey, let's, Let's go for a drive. I got a hospital set out for you. And then a bomb explodes half their house. And then the credits come up. Um, and that is kind of the tone of this whole movie. It is horrific things happening all around them. And kind of the, like the banality of war. Like even when you are, you are in the middle of something that you know is not going to end well. Like there's danger outside. People are fighting each other. People are targeting willy-nilly based on semi-heard information they had. You still are going to squabble as a husband and wife. You know, you still have to make food. You still have to figure out what you're going to do. When the baby comes, you still need to, when a bomb blows up your wall, you have to put together brick by brick and just rebuild the house and be annoyed about it. Um, it I think this movie is so, it is bleak, but in this kind of also darkly funny way, it... I found it to be a very, very interesting movie. Uh, it made me wish I knew more about Ukrainian politics. Um, it felt kind of timely because Ukraine is again back in the news now over similar like agitation from Russia and the split between you know uh, Putin's sympathizers and people who want to stay as a part of Ukraine. Um, 
this movie doesn't really spoon feed any of it to you. It kind of just thrusts you in the middle of it and assumes that you will figure it out as it goes. And it, it, it worked well for me. I wished I knew a little bit more about it, but I thought the, the mix of drama and like extremely bleak kind of black humor that it wrung from real life war and the real life tragedy that was happening as a part of it. And kind of the, the meaninglessness of a bunch of people fighting over a plot of land when none of them has any stake in it beyond the hope that maybe if they were on the right side, they'll be rewarded for it when the new, you know, the new landlord comes in. Um, I thought that all worked very, very well. So I, I, I was a fan of Klondike. I liked it. Um, I don't <laughs> share your love for this film, Stephen. Um, it, it's it's interesting. Like that, I, I think part for me, part of why I didn't really connect to this film is my lack of like historical knowledge of the subject matter and my confusion over what is, uh, like so so when the, when this opens, I think it was maybe the director who introduced the film um, in a little like video chat before it started. And she talked about how they are a tiny little studio and, you know, they made this with like very little money and very little help and they kind of made it. And I think that is really on display, right? This feels, this feels like the way uh, the tragedy of Macbeth is supposed to feel like it's on a stage and in the real world. Um, This feels like, it is sort of like that, like the entire thing is condensed and, and set on this one uh, little plot of land. And they're theoretically the, the the battlefield is just over the hill right there. And that's why like a, a stray bomb can come flying in and hit everything. But there's never I, I never got the feeling that the war was real and could be seen like you know when you watch old movies about like the Civil War and it's like a family eating dinner. And then all of a sudden you just hear like the the stuff going off and then pretty soon there's like a battle that's just in the field out in front of the house and stuff like yeah this film doesn't have that it just has things that randomly explode and the husband is not around suddenly comes up real fast and goes we got to get to the basement and then there's shots from inside the basement of stuff ex- like the roof shaking and sounds of explosions but like i never i never understood what was happening and how close to the battle lines they were and who was fighting what and when the you know the the <laughs> there there is a character who keeps coming in and out who is related to the wife and she keeps saying yeah. are you uh are, are you part of the i forget what it says so it's i don't know if it's a re- resistance or if it's a different thing but it's like i don't even know like i think you're ukrainian <laughs> so you must be asking if he is on the side of the russians but like i i never really understood this conflict who was playing what parts. And whenever the soldiers would come to the house and just take it over for five minutes, then leave, I never understood what they were doing other than they were hungry and they came to the house real fast. And there were things that happen while somebody has left like a 50 caliber machine gun just on the kitchen table. (laughs) And it seems like those shots don't feel logically cohesive to me where like soldiers would just leave weapons in an area where people are scared of soldiers. But Nobody ever has the thought to try to do anything about the interact. I, I, I just never understood. To me, I felt like I was missing something. Like this felt this film mm-hmm. feels incredibly personal and probably accurate to the way it felt to live this. But it also feels like a. Uh, I don't know a better word than than cliff notes. Like it's an abbreviated form of what it actually feels like. And you're supposed to get 
on this flip of a dime or whatever, like you're supposed to get this sudden tragedy or sudden awkwardness or the weirdness of two guys fighting, even though it's, it's like when a bomb hasn't gone off, people act as though there's no war happening. But as soon as a bomb goes yeah. off, they act as though there's a million bombs going off. And it's like, maybe it feels like that. Maybe it doesn't. I, I just, to me, I had a disconnect from what was happening. And I, I, the other thing, the other problem I had too is, I never, these characters never sold me on why their house was so important. They didn't have a lot. The house itself was no longer sustaining them as a house because half the house got blown away. And I was not convinced that because like the brother can just come and go and go wherever he pleases. And they seem to have family members who are in at least a better part of the town. I was never convinced that they had anything here that was worth staying this close to the wall. And, and maybe that was just a translation issue for me that I it wasn't picking up on it. But it, it, for me, I lacked the why stay here feeling um, of, of why you have to stay and protect this home and risk all that you are risking. And, and that sort of. Yeah. Yeah. So it, what, what's interesting is my read on the film, because I didn't do any research otherwise, other than remembering the Malaysian Airlines flight, um, story when it happened i also am not that familiar with it my read on this film is that it isn't meant to be a reflection of this is how it felt that it's supposed to be a kind of a heightened version that emphasizes how meaningless war like this feels like yeah. i think the i think the world this movie is presenting is there is a hypothetical war going on there are uh, there are separatists which means this Eastern Ukrainian region wants to leave Ukraine and either become its own independent nation or join in with uh, Russia in some capacity. I, I don't remember which is which. Um, but usually, like, the separatists are speaking Russian and the pro-Ukrainians are speaking Ukraine, like the people who want to stay together, who do not want this separation to occur. Um, I think there is no battle in the movie at all near people. What there is are two factions that are trying to um, hunt each other down, like sniff each other out. And in this case, in the beginning of this movie, I think a house is targeted because of a person who is staying in that house without remembering who else is staying in that house because um, they are trying to target people who... The people who are aggressors in this situation are the separatists, by and large, the people who want to leave. Um, they're the people who kind of the main character, the man, has allied himself with for reasons his wife finds fucking annoying, you know, of like, why are you hanging out with these people? This sucks, right? Yep. What are you doing? I think the separatists are trying to target sympathizers of the Ukrainian regime and the whole saga that the movie is about is the fact that this house has both of those at the same time. And I think it's supposed to be a kind of absurd fight when neither of them are actually going to win anything. They're all just going to get fucked over by this idea of war. And that was kind of how I, how I saw the story. But so, so let me ask you this then. If, if, so assuming, taking what you're saying and then rethinking the very first scene of the film, mm -hmm. I could make the assumption that he knew that was probably happening. He was trying to get her to leave and go to the hospital early so that they yeah. would be away from the house, right? Mm. Let's say I'm 100% on board with that. Why, after it blows up, would they stay? 
because shouldn't if they really wanted him dead wouldn't they still continue to shoot stuff at the house they want uh his brother-in-law or whoever that other person is the the brother of his wife he's on the same he's on the same side as the people who blew up his house that's what i think we're supposed to believe and the house getting blown up was an accidental targeting without thinking about it much like the malaysian airlines flight was a targeting without thinking about it that's how i understood the the movie at least and not at first it wasn't it was only like halfway through when he's talking to people and they're vaguely apologetic but that's why this is all like Oh, don't worry. We're going to be great when the new regime comes. You just get on board. You've allied with the right people. We have access. We can let you cross borders. We can do anything. And it turns out nobody gives a shit about you. I, yeah. I think that's kind of the the story of the movie. Don't ally yourself with anything because nobody gives a shit and you're just going to suffer for it. Yeah. yeah. Cool. All right. Well, moving on. Um, this is uh, we're going to be talking about the, the big film, the big film that everyone's talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, which is a little film called Nanny, um, which won the U.S. Grand Jury Prize in the dramatic category. Um, So it might be something people have been hearing about. Um, But essentially, it is about this uh, woman who is Senegalese, and she is here in the United States, and she is um, taking a job as a nanny for a family, and she was trying to save up enough money to bring her son um, over to the United States to live with her here. And uh, as she, you know, goes about working for this family, um, she starts to sort of have these moments of of sort of, you know, like visions or fugue state that she goes into where she sees different flashes of different things. And she is just slowly unwinding as she tries to painfully work towards saving up enough money to bring her son over. Um, So this is the film that I think uh, is very interesting and very compelling and it has an ending that makes me dislike it completely. <laughs> um, mm. Like, like you, you joked about, I think you were joking about Cha-Cha Real Smooth having like four different endings. This film crams five different endings into about 30 seconds right at the end. Yeah. And I, I, to me, that was sort of a bridge too far. Like, especially in a film that felt as fantastical as things are happening, it still felt very grounded in the experience this one woman has moving forward. Um, And as they start to introduce sort of uh, mysticism and sort of steer the film into the horror genre, I think they become more concerned with playing within the tropes of the horror genre at the expense of a cohesive narrative that that makes all the things that you're seeing gel together in a way that actually makes sense. I think this is like 75% beautiful story, beautiful filmmaking. And then 25% uh, we overdid it a little bit because we wanted people to be really drawn in by the visuals of what's being shown. Um, So to me, I enjoyed the film. Uh, I, you know, thought it was good, but I think it lost me right at the end um, because it, it kind of wanted to have its cake and eat it too. Yeah, I, I think I agree with that. The ending, it didn't bother me, mainly because horror movies in general, and I should put an asterisk after the word horror here, because this movie is really not trying to be scary. You know, this is much more just a a movie with some psychological touches that can make you realize that, you know, not everything is as it appears. But it's certainly not a movie that is trying to get you with jump scares or creep under your skin or anything like that. But in general, in those genres, I feel like sticking the landing is hard and almost never happens. <laughs> I, I feel like usually 
usually I find the ending of a story like this a little unsatisfying, and yeah. I just bake that in with the territory when I go in to watch a film like this. I thought I was very pleasantly surprised because I, I didn't want it to be a horror movie. Yeah. So I thought the the story you know, of, uh, of Anna, the nanny who's like living in the Bronx and commuting, who's trying to earn money for her son. Um, the, the interactions between her and the family that she is nannying for, I thought were like perfectly done. I thought it was great. It, yeah. it shows a lot about, you know, the immigrant experience, you know, she has, there's a moment where she goes to the park with her kid and she sits down and it is, a bunch of other uh, like black immigrants from different places like Afro-Caribbean and, you know, she's Senegalese. And I, I forget there was another person too, who I think they made a point of highlighting yeah. where they, they're all together watching a bunch of white kids in the park, you know, and there's this whole world wrapped around that disparity. And I think as it's just ripe for turning into a kind of psychological horror. And yeah. I, I think it does a really good job with that. Um, I thought the look and feel of this movie was very beautiful. It, it does a lot with like different colored lights. Like there's purple lights and green lights and really dark scenes. And then suddenly really bright, like almost overexposed when they're outside. I, I thought this was a movie that was very like mesmerizing to watch. Yeah. Um, so I can see why it got the acclaim that it did, because I imagine the creator did a lot with... I imagine not a very big budget, but it looks fantastic. Yeah, um, the biggest budget was renting it, that apartment. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I want to. I want to live in that place. Uh, I would be much better than that. <laughs> yeah. um, but the the movie has a big. Uh, you know, I would have voted for Obama a third term energy to it. Of uh, you know the the get out feeling of people who fashion fancy themselves as being progressive and all about like protest and support and that and it, it needles at you a few times you know there's a party scene where we hear the conversations that are happening in the background and it is very cringy to yeah. to listen to um i think all of that is just brilliantly done i like the dash of mysticism i think between this and saloon it, it's just interesting to see like this this uh like western african twist on horror tropes you know the specific legends maybe that i wouldn't have seen before and how that plays into the imagery that haunts people yeah uh, i i enjoyed that and, I, I thought it was well done and and just the record i enjoyed that i yeah. think it branches out there is something that is experienced by another character in the film yep who is not a part of this but is yeah. seemingly somehow connected um and that is purely horror film trope that entire yeah. half of this line and what that character says about what they have experienced if you take those words at fact you 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 let's just say that i i i take this film in its word and that is true what this experience is is a hundred percent that now apply that to the last 30 seconds of this and right. it completely doesn't make any sense why the character's state of mind in those last shots, the person who is being shown would be in the state they are, right? Because we're, we're talking around it, but I, I agree with you and I, I totally get that. I, I think this movie is channeling in very interesting symbolism and the real completely non-mystical story it's telling is fantastic, uh, except for the fact that it has too many endings. Yeah. Um, but well, it, when it tries to tie everything together, 
I think the third act kind of falls apart. That that was how I felt as well. I thought it yeah. looked good enough doing it that it didn't bother me, but I definitely didn't think it stuck the landing. And, and, and a lot of those extra stuff that they add towards the end, I could just wave my hand away and be like, I don't care. This was great. My my real problem is, and I'm trying to think of a film that is completely unrelated that I can do an analogy for um, that would not be a spoiler for this film. But let's just say that there mm-hmm. is there is a a big dump of information that happens right towards the end of this film and it is it is significant and i think the montage you see at the end basically says that information i just found out about completely doesn't matter um and to me that felt like a a real sharp turn to feeling okay about something that I wouldn't feel okay about <laughs> if yeah. that makes sense. Um, yeah. I, I did feel like a little bit of that was about just the, the cycle of pain that people have to endure. Like I, I thought some of that was intentional, maybe, you know, a, a kind of life is pain story uh, that was maybe supposed to be depressing, how it just kind of feels like history is repeating itself. But I, I feel you too. I thought, I thought the way it ended kind of undercut the the rest of the message of the movie. Yeah. Cool. Uh, all right. So the next film uh, is Navalny. Uh, this film won the Audience Award in the U.S. Documentary section, and then it also won the Festival Favorite Award. Uh, so it was quite beloved by a number of people. And this is a documentary around Alexei Navalny, who was a Russian opposition leader, um, who was kind of famously poisoned. Um, and this is a movie that kind of talks through that process. And if I'm not saying much about it, it's because I wound up not watching it. So I'm hanging Christopher out to dry and making him talk about it all by his lonesome. Um, um, yeah, I think this is a film that, that Steven was sort of excited to see. Um, it might've just been because you were hearing good buzz about it. Um, yeah, but, uh, I, I, I've said multiple times on the podcast that around festival times, I'm not, I'm usually not wanting to um to burn a slot in the festival on a documentary unless it's going to be something that's really impactful or something super super interesting um and i think that this film i i i i really enjoyed watching (laughs) navalny um not necessarily because it's kind of (laughs) like The documentary is really just look how fucking charismatic this guy is and isn't he cool? <laughs> and, <laughs> and the answer to that question is yes, he's pretty dope. Like I, I had an amazing uh, fun time watching him. Also, I want to say he looks like a combination of Ray Fiennes and Army Hammer um, smashed together. <laughs> <laughs> Two of the best people. <laughs> um, but uh, that's just neither here nor there uh well it's both places um but uh you know the the meat of the meat of this documentary is about how they actually found out that they he was for sure poisoned and where the poisoning came from and the process of how that went i remember in the news when this was happening i remember him being poisoned um i in my head i went like that's wild and then i sort of put it out of my mind and didn't really think about it this film is really just what is great about watching this is watching the scene where they get the information from the person they get it from and how they get it um so like i really like that it was kind of like mind-boggling 
how this happens. Um, and the fact that Navalny is the one who gets the information is, is just fucking brilliant. It's amazing. Um, this, this documentary is so fun. I don't know that it's substantively anything special, but it's, it's, it was fun. And in a weekend where I was shoving in so many things, it was like, I'm going to start my Sunday morning with this film. And I was like, yeah, I'm in a good mood to watch some other films. Cause this is friggin' awesome. <laughs> Nice. Well, I'm glad. I would have been much more uh, mad at myself if you hated it because this these last two movies are both ones that we added because I suggested them because we had two films left and we weren't feeling very strongly about it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it is. This is a CNN slash HBO production, so it's slated to air early this year. So it will be available to watch soon, and I'll definitely catch up with it. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it's 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 a hard like it, it wouldn't be one that we would do like a full review for or anything because it's really just like like yeah he's super charismatic and it sucks that he was poisoned and oh my god that was amazing how he got the information about how he was poisoned <laughs> um which is it's not breaking the news either you're just watching it you're just watching somebody like it, it's like it's like you're out for drinks and somebody's like you will not believe how this happened let me tell mm-hmm. you and that that's the equivalent of what you're watching like it, it this could be so this isn't like an icarus type type movie no. where it, it stumbles into an amazing thing this is just recounting an amazing thing i mean technically the like i, I, I yeah so th- there were people making a documentary about him and then he got poisoned and it's basically like one nerd guy who is like let me buy a bunch of like flight manifests from the deep web and then just like cross-reference them and here's a bunch of people we should call and try to get them to admit it. And like, you're just watching that process, but it's like this part of the documentary is like 15, 20 minutes. (laughs) And the rest of it is just like, isn't he fun to be around? (laughs) (laughs) It's a week. Like it shouldn't, it shouldn't be as good as it is, but it like, it looks slick. just like there, there's scenes where they're interviewing him in a bar. Um, and it just, it, it just, the the setup, they just like, it just, it just fucking rad. Like the, the main shot for the header for the image on the Sundance page is like sort of this interviewing stuff they're doing before this happens. Um, and it just, it just, it looks cool. And I had a fun time watching it. Nice. There's also this great moment in the documentary where he's like, look, we didn't even believe I could have been poisoned because it would have been stupid if Putin did poison me because it's like his poison. He's the only one that uses it. I, if, if I died from that poison, it, it, it's unbelievable that it could have been him because it would be too on the nose for it to be him. <laughs> it's just, it's good. <laughs> uh, yeah. So on to the last film, it's another one that Steven didn't end up catching. Uh, I did catch it. Um, this is a film that if you've heard anything about it, you've probably heard that it's a very uncomfortable film to watch. Um, you know, it is about a 17 year old girl who um, runs across a 34 year old man and the friendship uh, that they start to form together, um, if I can say that. And it's it's really just a, a, a film that starts uncomfortable and just builds in its uncomfortableness till the end. And it feels like a film that's very much trying to uh you know communicate the dangers of certain situations and i think that Mm. you know this is not a film that is about a you know this isn't like (laughs) maybe not maybe not the best comparison now but it's not like call me by your name where it's like yeah there's an age difference but like blah 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 blah. you're kind of rooting for them even though you shouldn't be this is like you're never Mm. rooting for it 
it's an uncomfortable situation. You know it's bad, and it just continues to get worse. And I think that um, it's kind of a it's kind of a weird film because it's like the film is definitely talking about the dangers of one thing, and then kind of its thesis is the very last line of dialogue before the credits roll. And I think that hmm. it's like where this film is going is darker than like maybe you're expecting as you go into the film. And it's kind of, it left me with a weird feeling because it, it felt like I didn't know why this story needed to be told. And it felt like that last line of dialogue is why this story didn't need to be told. And I'm not sure what that line of dialogue is saying about, uh, hope in society and, <laughs> and like where things so are. I, I'd be curious because I, I think this is one of those movies that, uh, the director made a short a few years ago that was relatively acclaimed and then got funding to turn it into a feature length. And the short was also called Palm Trees and Power Lines. Yeah. Uh, if I'm pulling this out of my ass completely, I'm sorry, but I, I feel like that happened. I, I feel and so like I that's... can imagine if it if it hinges on a line of dialogue, I can imagine in a like 12 minute movie how maybe that could all come together in a way that a two-hour drama it doesn't feel quite as cohesive well it's like the, the line of dialogue out of nowhere sums up the character's state of mind having been through stuff and mm -hmm. it's making a comment based on what the state of mind is that is not necessarily the story you were watching but the culmination of of how going through stuff can affect you um mm -hmm. I don't, I don't even know if that's ambiguous enough, but, <laughs> but, but yeah, it, 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 it just left me in a weird place by the end of it, wondering what I had watched and where the, what the future holds for any character that you've seen over the course of the film. So mm. yeah, definitely not a feel good film. And the, like the, it's, it's, it's an incredibly uncomfortable, film, comfortable film to watch and would be really weird to be watching <laughs> and have people walk in the room while you're watching it. <laughs> now, what, one thing one thing I'm curious about is because everyone describes it as uncomfortable, and that is different from sad. Like, when they say uncomfortable, it makes me think that it is portraying this in a way where you know it is wrong and terrible, but it isn't playing all the, the drama notes of you should feel terrible and that that would be the uncomfortable part? Like, is it playing this directly and trying not to comment? So there, there's, there's two, there, there's, I mean, there's three things. Um, four things? Three, there's three things. One of them is spoilers. I won't actually say it. Um, but first of all, the first thing is that this is not, um, this is not a person who this isn't like a hard candy situation where somebody has lured this person from afar and now they are in the shadows engaging in whatever situation they're going to engage right. in. This is two people, one who's 17, one who's 34, laying against each other on a beach full of people. And it's just normalized because nobody mm. is commenting on it or saying there is one point in the film where a waitress like he goes out to take a phone call and the waitress approaches her and like tries to check in to see if she's okay. But besides that, no one bats an eye and, and, and they're clearly not father daughter, right? They are mm -hmm. romantically, uh, like their first, their first couple of interactions are like sitting on the back of his truck 
uh, parked along railroad tracks where you're like away from other people, right? So it's like semi-private. Mm-hmm. But then they're like going on dates in public to the beach to like different places. And, and it feels very, very not on the down low, very public, everything's fine and nobody seems to care or get bothered to it. That's the first uncomfortableness. Mm-hmm. Um, the second uncomfortableness is prolonged scenes where they are engaged together. <laughs> um, yeah. That is just makes you wonder about like what who the acting supervisor was to like make sure those scenes were okay for the actors involved and like there's a lot of things that call into question like just filming this feels strange and awkward and then the third things are just how dark the actual story goes by the end um and that's as mm. much as i'll try to say to the set that that, okay. that but but yeah it's just it's 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 not a film where you are trying not to think about how awkward the situation is. It's a film where you're constantly thinking about it and you're questioning why nobody else in this universe seems to think about it. And just, and then, then you're forced to sit through prolonged scenes that are supposed, I assume supposed to make you feel uncomfortable. Um, but it's not like, a. I don't know. It just, it's, 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 it just always feels wrong (laughs) and, and it's hard to, yeah, it's just uncomfortable. Interesting. Like this conversation. Yeah. I will say the one thing that would have been enjoyable is um, it's clearly in San Diego uh, because they talk about uh, like at one point she said she's like seeing a guy from another school and they're like, oh, he goes to Vista or whatever. And they talk about Carlsbad, I think, too. And I was like, all right, so Mm -hmm. where are we exactly? And then I think they go to Mission Bay at one point. I'm not 100 percent certain. I was trying to look for landmarks. I couldn't find them. And that was part of the game of watching this is like, okay, hold on. Show me Mm -hmm. show me an actual building that I recognize and maybe I can figure out what part of the city they're in. But. Nice. Yep. At least there was that. All right. So, uh, any last thoughts on this festival as a whole, Stephen? Um, I don't know. I mean, I would say of the one, two, three, four, five, six of the movies we talked about that I saw, I at least liked, I think all, I liked all of them and I would say I quite liked at least four of them. So I feel like at least from the awards contenders, I've Sundance is batting a pretty high, high average. I feel, I feel relatively impressed given how few things we were able to catch. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I was pretty high on four of them. I think you would have had a five if you got to see Navalny. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I will. I know I'm going to see that. Joanna's a a sucker for documentaries too. I just, when I realized it was coming out like very soon, I was like, okay, I'm not going to, not going to rush for it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so that's, that, that's our, our, uh, conversation. Um, I would say quick, but this is like <laughs> longer than most of our recent reviews of it. Yeah. But it makes sense. We had a lot to cover. Um, but yeah, so that, that was our conversation on this. So Steven, if people want to find you throughout the week, where can they do that? Uh, people can find me at twitter.com slash S David Miller or S David All right. If people want to find me, they can find me at Christopher or twitter.com slash Christopher IRL. 
You can find the podcast over at thespoilerwarning.com where you can get a bunch of the back episodes of the show. If you want to subscribe to the show, you can do so in Overcast, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, or wherever podcasts are found. If you want to know the episodes to go live, you can follow us at twitter.com slash spoiler warning, facebook.com slash the spoiler warning, or instagram.com slash the spoiler warning. If you want to get a hold of us directly, you can send an email to fans at the spoiler warning.com or you can use the contact form on our site. Music for this episode will come from the jingle to the Sundance 2022 Film Festival. Um, <laughs> I, I wrote it weird. It feels wrong that we're 2022. I don't, <laughs> I don't like it. <laughs> yeah, well, um, but, uh, but yeah, hopefully you enjoyed that. Um, next weekend, A24 Screening Room is having uh, Red Rocket playing, so we'll do that. So that's the next review you'll see from us. Um, the week after that, I'm going to make Steven watch Kimmy, uh, the new Soderbergh film about Alexa trying to kill people. Um, cool. <laughs> which should be great. Uh, and uh, yeah, and then we're going we're gonna to see, you know, we're still not really returning to theaters uh, with Omicron going all crazy. So we're kind of playing it by ear every week who knows what kind of extra stuff will come out you know maybe some festival stuff we missed will start coming out um yeah, yeah. we'll be back with more episodes this year and uh here's the 2022 here's the 2022 oh and i did do my finally best of 2021 list which is actually 24 movies which is way too many movies to write about um, but you can go to my website sdavemiller.com if you want to read all about a whole bunch of other shit and that is the last I'm going to say about that. <laughs> All right. Cool. Uh, see everybody next time. Later. Bye.